After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton, with me once again, because it's National Canadian <laughs> Film Day, is yeah. Mr. Cameron Maitland. Hello. Hey, dude. Hi. Hi. Welcome also, back. Also, I'm generally kind of back now. Yeah, I, guess. I know. I'm so glad. I missed your <laughs> face. But you were like in this bizarre whirlpool of four mm. different years of film where you did these intense yeah. deep dives. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? Um, it was okay. Yeah, I don't know. I had to watch too many movies a day, so that's no fun. Like, eight movies a day is a lot. What was the weirdest one you had to watch, like, in context Uh, at work? Oh, I mean, I've watched a lot of sex ones at work. That's not great. No, you just save those ones for erotic films are not... I'm in a corner, so it's not so bad. But um, I, I don't know if anybody like approached me and uh, freaked out by what they saw. It was but. like, what are you doing? I watched a lot of uh, nuclear apocalypse ones in a row. Those were real bummers. It's all just people slowly dying of radiation poisoning. That was '83, right? Yeah, like yeah, people yeah, were yeah, really yes, into that yes, in '83. Yes. Oh man. Okay. When can, when's the movie or when's the show coming oh, out? Do you like know? December. Oh, okay. Forever. Sorry. I don't know. I'm on it too. So yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what's happening. Maybe trailers earlier. It's gonna be great. But, you know, it's Canada. Okay. <laughs> It takes years. It takes some time. Yeah. Well, we have someone who took a little bit of time to make their first movie. We're so happy to have her for National Canadian Film Day. Big shout out to Real Canada National Canadian Film Day for throwing her our way. We've got Jasmine Mozafari. How are you? Good, thanks. Excellent. Happy to be here. Good. We're happy to have yeah. you. <laughs> All right. You got a movie out right now. It just left Toronto, mm-hmm. but it is across Canada. You got Firecrackers. It started as a short. Tell us a bit about this. Yeah, it did start as a short. I went to Ryerson for film school. And in my thesis year, I made this short called Firecrackers. Crackers shot on 16 millimeter film. It premiered at TIFF, which was a surprise because you're a student and you don't expect that. Um, but it was great. And it taught me a lot about filmmaking. And then a few years later, I expanded it into a feature film also called Firecrackers. But it's it's a lot different. I think I grew as a director in those years. I made other shorts in between. And, and this film is, is pretty intense. And it goes deeper and darker into the themes that I originally explored in the short. You did a number of short films in between. What made you want to come back to this story? Um, I think that when we premiered the short, a lot of people would come up to myself and Caitlin Grabham, who produced it, was one of the producers on it, um, and said, you know, I think this is a feature film. Like, I want to know more about these characters. I want to know more about the girls. Um, because the the short was like a, a look into a world. And there was so much more to explore there. So, and, and it's my first feature. So I think there was a little bit of like a safety net feeling, knowing that I've created a, a world already. And now I can just expand on it rather than coming up with something completely from scratch. Now, this is a film uh, that does deal with some very intense topics and intense subjects. What kind of compelled you to write a movie about these two women and these intense subjects? Um, well, I know I knew that in the short, I was I didn't get to go deep with any of that. But the short is looking at women who are on young women who are unapologetic. And I always liked seeing that on screen and felt like we needed more of it. But I think a lot had happened in my life since I since 2013 and 2016 when I started writing the feature. I felt that there was this idea of patriarchal oppression or the patriarchy that was something that I was fascinated by and felt so personally connected to because I think that we all are even if we don't realize it. And I wanted to I always love films about women 
who are seeking freedom or don't have freedom. And I knew that I had already made a short that touched upon that and I wanted to expand it. I was like, I, I think I can go further with this, these subjects, but it's a big topic to cover. It's a big theme. So I thought the challenge for me is use the, the framework of girls wanting to escape a small town because that's even like doable in like um, logistical and financial way because you can shoot in Ontario. We have those settings, but use that as a vehicle to explore bigger themes. So that was what I set out to do. And as a uh, Canadian filmmaker, how aware are you of sort of how women are able to make films in this country and what sort of films they make movies about? I'm very aware of it because there's not many of us. Um, There's more every year, I think, like film schools and and other people who didn't go through the film school system are starting to see that there is more opportunity to make films, uh, especially women. Um, And even, you know, female identifying people are, uh, there's more representation in general, which is great. And I think that there's um, through, we have arts councils here, which is, we're lucky we have those. So you can make your shorts using that system. And then of course we have the talent to watch fund, which is what funded firecrackers now has funded like 50 films each year in the past. Like, I I don't know what they're doing this year, but it's a way to get your first feature made in, in, in a sense that you wouldn't probably have that opportunity anywhere else in the world in the way that we do here. So I think that that program and the jury they select are very careful about making sure that the stories are diverse and, and, and that's really, that's exciting. It is exciting. And especially as we're starting to see more and more young people make movies um, and people who may not necessarily have the opportunities um, from all all over Canada and not just Ontario. I mean, I know um, we're starting to see a lot of filmmakers up north in the Yukon. And I know one of the films that's playing actually tonight is The Grizzlies. And that's they're doing incredible stuff with the actors up there um, and in the Northwest Territories and and, uh, in the Maritimes. So you're starting to see movies come from places where you haven't really get to see gotten to see movies from before. And you picked a movie about a specific community that a lot of people probably don't know a lot about and it also deals with a lot of themes that uh, you yourself have an interest in in making films about. What movie did you pick? I picked Felix and Mira Felix by Maxime Mira. Giroux. From 2014. This was also a TIFF film. This was also nominated for um, the Canadian Screen Award Best Picture, but it was nominated at the same time as Brooklyn and Room, so mm-hmm. that well, wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it's a tight one. Why did you pick this movie of all the movies you could have picked? It stayed with me over the years. Uh, I remember seeing it at TIFF um, I also saw um, uh, Tudor Nicole, I think it was the same mm-hmm. year, and those two French filmmakers, both male, wrote these amazingly complex, wonderful female characters in both their films. So I was kind of struggling whether to pick which one I should pick, but I went with Felix and Mira um, because it's also so different than my film mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, like tonally and the way that it's shot and the approach to the um, pace is so different, but I, and I love the way Maxime went, went about doing it, but I specifically, yes, it's about a woman who feels trapped. It's an unbelievably quiet and slow film, but a lot happens in it. It's mm. very, it's fascinating. And I hadn't seen this one before and I'm glad I have now. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. The Quebecois are not all about giant visuals. This is great. <laughs> yeah. I'm seeing quiet character stories. Um, what is this film about? Just give us like a brief synopsis. Um, it's about, uh, it centers on a few characters, namely a woman named Mira who's married, who's a, in, she's a part of the Hasidic Jewish community, and um, she's very religion, religious and devout, and she's married, and she feels, I think, trapped within that religious setting. You can see that early on in the film, and then she meets a, 
uh, a French man named Felix who starts to sort of flirt with her. And this intrigue sort of leads her down a path of maybe straying from not only her marriage, but the religion itself and, and maybe leading to a new life. Cam, I got to throw this one to you because you found this uh, on Canopy. Thank yes, you very much. No um, what was your awareness <laughs> of this film initially? Oh, uh, almost non-existent. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I was surprised. I feel like the name, weirdly, I was like, oh, I've heard this name. I think it's also one of those library ones we talk about where, like, you see it a lot at the library, <laughs> but I never thought to get it. So, yeah, no, I uh, knew to me... Yeah. Uh, something that fascinates me about this film is it was written specifically because um, Maxime had no idea. He would see he's from Montreal and he would see the Hasidic Jews in Montreal at a time, and he's like, mm. I have no idea what that world is like. Mm. I am very familiar with uh, Quebecois and like French people, but like that whole area, I, I don't know. These women aren't allowed to make eye contact. What is this? So he started to kind of imagine and do research and, and meet people who are within it. There's two cast members who are former Hasidic Jews who have left their communities who are in this who kind of helped him with everything. And we are in a period right now where we're really asking a lot of questions as filmmakers and as a society of who's allowed to tell what story. And so when I read this, and this is 2014 before we got to that, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And as you said, Jasmine, this is a very sensitive portrait. What do you think about that in terms of the fact that this guy who had no understanding of it made this movie? Yeah, I think I think he worked closely with two people who were part of that community. Um, which I think is so essential. I know that it was controversial. I know that it wasn't accepted by that community. And I know there's been other films, docs, made about that community in Brooklyn, also on Netflix. I think it's called, they're oh, called yeah. One of Us. I've got, I've got a list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. One of Us. Is, one of what Us. You're talking about. And yeah. that film was also not accepted by that community. So there's always a risk. I think co-authorship is important sometimes. You know, like if you're a director or writer and you're taking authorship, like your name is written and directed by, sometimes I feel like that should be, um, there should be a new approach to that. Like it should be co-authored by the people who helped um you with your research and maybe they should be sort of they should be credited because yeah. we also don't really have a concept of dramaturgy in film yeah. like on a, when you go to a play you'll see a dramaturge in film you don't really right yeah what do you think cam yeah no i agree there's a, a kind of like the weird thing is is i totally agree this is a very good movie and i, I absolutely recommend it uh, on a weird like macrocosm view because i have to watch a lot of my work involves a lot of like independent films it's I think totally accidentally part of like a real movement of these kinds of movies about the Hasidic community or equivalents in different parts of the world, including Fill the Void, which stars the same actress, which is like, oh. And I think each of the movies individually usually stands alone, but as as kind of a bunch of films, you kind of start to be like, oh, okay. Like I'm I'm almost more interested at this point somebody telling me why a woman would be interested in continuing to be Hasidic. Because mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, Disobedience. I've seen uh, Fill the Void. Just like movies that make it look miserable. <laughs> and there's even, I even looked up to be like, has anybody looked at this as a movement? And a rabbi wrote this big long Twitter thread about like, uh, like here's how you see if you're watching like a exploitation movie. <laughs> and he's like, the, the husband is either mean or a weird pushover who only cares about <laughs> books. He's like, there's always a scene where this woman sexily takes off her wig. And I'm like, yeah, okay, (laughs) this is now bumming me out, kind of. But I think it's all people who are interested. Either it's passionate ex-people from the community, or it's people like this guy who see it in their backyard and are like, it's weird that we never 
Because before this movement, there's like one movie with Melanie Griffith that's really bad, where she's like an undercover cop in the Hasidic community. Oh boy. Um, and it's the same thing. Like, there's still like a sexy love triangle. Mm. Um, so these are all better than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stranger Among Us, that one is called. It's not, mm. not good. But yeah, there is, there's an interesting, I think now, like debate a bit more. I think that documentary is very interesting. There, there was one a couple years ago called Menasha as well. That's like the guy. It was a documentary and making a documentary about a guy that went, you know what? Let's just fictionalize this, but it still stars the guy. Mm. But it never involves. It involves kind of a great crisis of faith within the Hasidic community, but never him completely breaking off from it. And it's kind of interesting. But yeah, it's it's a question that's like oh, I don't know. Because you know? something I think is kind of fascinating about this film is that it's really dealing with the lifestyle more than the faith. Yes. It's yeah. yeah, what are the she traditions? She never seems to enjoy the faith. Like that's that's a nice thing, is it's like it's not about her questioning anything. Like she's in a bad situation from minute one, she hates it. Also, I think they do portray, unlike when you read what this rabbi's saying, her husband is portrayed very interestingly. Because you sense that he really loves her and you sense that He's also kind of trapped in a system that he doesn't know how to help her. Like, yeah. So weirdly, is this the best possible scenario she could be in? I don't, I don't, I never saw her as being like trapped against her will necessarily. Mm. Like she, I think the great thing that Maxine did with his co-writer is give her some agency. Mm. And then also um, Shalom, is that his name? The husband? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. He, he um, He's not one note either. He yeah. he he has which I that scene um, at the dinner table. Shulam. Shulam, sorry. Shulam <laughs> right. and um, Felix at the table. Mm-hmm. That's one of the yeah. most amazing scenes where where he has some sort of understanding. Like he is not played so one note. Yeah. And also she I I wonder I think again why I like this film so much is Maxine doesn't feed us every motivation. Like the characters are not telling us how they feel all the time and at the end um, Mira keeps her wig on even mm. in the even in um, Italy um, and right Italy yeah, yeah. Where she, yeah and Venice Venice and um, she also like has her sort of ritualistic she taps a wall and you mm. see her do these things even at the end so I wonder if she does like part part, yeah. part of the faith she wants to keep but she also has um, she wants to be independent in a way that she can't be within within that faith so yeah. I think she kind of um, but we don't know everything and I think that's the great thing about this film is it doesn't force feed you any sort of information about the characters all the time. You have to sort of pick up on these details. And there's a lot of stuff too that you have to, because um, going into this, not a lot of people do know a lot about Hasidic yeah. Jews, and that's why we're having documentaries. That's why it's, apparently this is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that we're trying to learn more about them, but when a community is as I want to say cloistered. Maybe yeah. that's the oh, wrong yeah, word in this sure. context. No, <laughs> as, as, as something like this, um, I think it can feed a lot of speculation. Yeah. And speculation can be good and it can also be horrible. And I think you're right. It's a credit to Maxime in the filmmaking that he he doesn't attend. He doesn't attempt to be an expert. He doesn't attempt to like hold yeah. you by the hand and be like, so this is what a Shabbat is. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, okay, we just know we need to have the lights out at this time and this is why. It's mm-hmm. also very much like an interpersonal issue for the most part between her and her husband. And, and it's not like the rabbi comes and tells right. her to do this or the community is like shunning her you know yeah it's a very specific interpersonal i also think the thing that i really liked about it is this relationship between her and felix they don't define that either as like a great relationship no, yeah, <laughs> like exactly. you're definitely under the impression the impression that like this is probably not gonna last yeah he's a bit weird 
Uh, this just seems like the thing that you have to do at the time because it's like, yeah. Yeah, this yeah is... I love that part of it, too. Yeah. The other thing I think is really interesting about this movie is the use of language, because it's technically in four different languages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we talked about um, the red violin, and the red violin, I think that was like six different yeah. languages that that one's in, which is bananas. Um, do you think that alienates people, or are you able to, because the acting is so good in this, yeah. that you're kind of, you're just able to effortlessly switch between the English, the Yiddish, the French, and the Spanish when that shows up? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think it alien. I think Canadians are used to um, just switching between, like, watching things with subtitles a lot more than maybe an American audience would be, because we're so used to seeing, yeah, you know, Quebecois films or you know, we. I, I don't know. I never found it a hindrance at all. Um, and I, yeah, I guess it's just because like so much is unsaid already in this film that uh, you don't you don't always need like everything explained with subtitles. I don't know. I always I felt like. He gives us so much that's not in the dialogue already. Mm. I think there's such a character thing that's added too when you see how who decides to speak what in what language. Like yeah. I love when people mm. who have parents who don't speak, uh, who English is not their first language, when they yell at their children in that language, yeah. <laughs> but then they switch effortlessly back to English to talk to you. I just think that's the funniest thing. This movie um, also think, chooses yeah? to tran- not translate sometimes, yeah. which mm-hmm. I think is interesting. Like a lot of the Yiddish, it doesn't translate. Yeah. So you're just left... Which, yeah, that's that's like a th- another layer that's like, ah. Mm-hmm. And plus, didn't, I mean, the most impressive thing is the, the main actress learned French and the, like, Brooklyn-style Yiddish. She didn't know either before wow. the movie started. So you can tell that she was obviously pretty passionate about this one. As much as it sounds like she has two kind of close movies. <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah, she really liked this one because uh, well, she, like, went nuts. Maxime specifically didn't want her in this movie because of Fill the Void. Yeah. He was like, she has a thing already. I don't want her in this because everyone's going to be comparing the two. And uh, his producer went and solicited the audition without him and without his permission. <laughs> wow. And they got it back and was like, yes, yeah, she's, she's the one yeah, for this. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so, you know, do you trust your producer like that, Jasmine? Yes. I do, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because we've been... Uh, Working together for since Ryerson days, mm. so um, but I don't think she would do something like that. <laughs> Solicit auditions <laughs> not behind your back. No, it's not not her style. No. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. it's important to have your working relationship that makes sense. Um, well, we are at uh, favorite moments, guys. What do you guys love? Well, I lo- like I said, I love that scene between um, Felix and uh, Mira's husband. That scene is amazing. I love the boat moment when you don't know she's meeting Felix in New York and. Uh, I love Sarah, Sarah Mashara, first of all, as a cinematographer. She's mm. in, amazing. But that moment where they decide to do this 360 shot of Mira walking around the ferry, and then she ends up at the end of the 360 meeting up with Felix since they're backs. And I didn't, you don't know that's really coming. I, I love that moment. I love the moment when um, her husband, I forget his name again. Oh, gosh. Shulam. Shulam. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> that sort of framing of like, he misses her his his wife Mira playing dead and teasing him and yeah. then at the end when he it is almost like he's he's dying like a part of him is dying and he imitates uh, sort of her falling on the floor but he's doing it the I mean the second time I watched it I already knew it was coming but when, the first time it had a lot of impact on me and those are the moments that stick out how about you Cam I mean I just like I, number one I would also double down on that cinematography it's very beautifully mm-hmm. shot like and very yeah, super beautiful. If nothing else, you will enjoy the beauty. Um, 
But I just like there's like a weird French New Wavey part where after they dance, the people are talking about yeah. how they yes. dance. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> like a cute little because you've been so dug into their story that yeah. it's very fascinating just to because it's otherwise like a three hander basically, yeah. and then suddenly there's these two random characters just commenting on what you've seen, and you're like, oh. What does that do to you as the observer? Like when you suddenly are pulling back and you're seeing everybody else from somebody else's point of view. Well, I think it makes it makes you think about you sometimes. <laughs> like yeah. yeah. Are you misinterpreting what you're seeing? Because they're also kind of making fun of them, too. Yeah. Like, who are these people? And you're like... And I think, yeah, it does, again, like, salt that relationship a bit where you're like, oh, yeah, maybe this yeah. is maybe this is too manic people being totally crazy and not right. the love story I've built up in my mind. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, I love all these little moments of small rebellion. So mm. her trying on jeans for the first time, which is very... Mm oddly shot because it's shot from her waist down and that's what's but it's not sexy and it's not exploitative it's just like no this is what it's like to put on pants if you've never put on pants before especially a fabric like denim um i also love the fact that this movie appears in like a weird timelessness i'm like am i watching this in the 60s am i watching this like when where is this and the fact that it's got um sister tharp all those sister tharp clips are just so freaking great and people don't know who that rosetta tharp and if people don't know who don't don't know who that is go you YouTuber, she's the godmother of rock and roll, and she's it's what amazing. he did. He said he, said he saw it on right. YouTube and was like, "This has to be in my movie <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's so incredible." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Okay, so how do people find Firecrackers? How do people find your work? What are people doing for National Canadian Film Day? <laughs> well, people can find Firecrackers in theaters across Canada right now. It just left Toronto, um, but if you check the Cineplex website. Um, you can see if it's playing in your town. It is playing in multiple provinces. It will be online, too, in the summer. Um, anything about the work that I'm doing, you can follow the company that Caitlin and I have, Prowler Film, either on Instagram or uh, we have a website, prowlerfilm.com. What are you doing for National Canadian Film Day? I would like to see uh, Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Yes. Mm. I haven't seen that film, and I really oh, cool. want to see it. It's so. amazing. Yeah, I'll yeah. be watching that. Excellent. Are you going to see it in the theater? Yes. Oh, on the big screen. That's going to be so good, <laughs> yes. man. Uh, yeah. Is Jeff Barnaby going to be there? I don't know. Oh, man. I will cross he's, my fingers. He's probably somewhere. He's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> he kicks they, around. They do it up. How about you, Cam? Um, well, I'm on Twitter at CamFess is where you can find me on Twitter. Uh, everything else is through Hollywood Suite. So, of course, on National Canadian Film Day, I will be watching 24 hours of Canadian programming <laughs> on Hollywood Suite, uh, including the premiere of... The very gross movie, The Void, if you like gross monsters. uh, We've got that. Uh, But also, probably in real life, I will be probably going to a former friend of the show, I mean, current friend of the show, former guest, uh, Alicia Fletcher, is doing God's Own Country, a celebration of the 100th anniversary of it, uh, including a live piano score at the review. So that'd be pretty good if if you're gonna see it. If you're gonna see her play with bears and stuff, it's wonderful. Head straight there. Yes, <laughs> got some racist problems, but there's lots of cute animals. Exactly, yeah. and you know, naked, uh, naked Nell yeah, Shipman. Yeah, nudity. Yeah. Question: Weird nudity. And also, just learning more about Nell Shipman and what like yeah. a badass weirdo she was is kind of the greatest. Yeah. Like any of those silent film era stars, you're like, mm-hmm. how did you stay alive for as long <laughs> yeah. as you did? Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating to me. Uh, for myself, you can find me on the Twitters at Shrimpton, that's the masculine the Shrimpton over there. For National Canadian Film Day, I'm going to be having people over and we're going to watch Crime Wave uh, because I thought Snow and Sasson immediately went with Winnipeg and Weird Neighbors because that makes sense to me. If you guys haven't seen that one yet, go back and listen to our Paul Korup episode because that's really great and he's got some great insight about that and it's just a really fun, really weird little movie. Um, I think that's just about everything. Guys, happy National Canadian <laughs> Film Day. Let's go get a moose head. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.